members of our own church family hear the call of God on their lives and they're willing to step out in faith and go where he tells them to go and do what he tells them to do. And I, I've just been struck, well, both with Pip's example today and her wonderful work for, for DNA and Colin's wonderful work with Tear Fund, um, how the glory of God revealed in Jesus transforms lives, our lives, here in this place, so we can go out and transform the lives of others. It's just such a powerful witness, isn't it? And it's, well, something that we should just be praising the Lord on this day of all days, the, the, the day of Christ's transfiguration. So it all makes sense. We're talking about God's glory revealed today. So I'm going to open in prayer. Dear Lord, may the story of your transfiguration, the unveiling of your divine glory and majesty in Jesus, help to transform our own hearts and rekindle our love and devotion to you so that we too will shine with your glory in all that we do building your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Whoa. Okay, so the amazing story of the transfiguration has got to be one of the most dramatic in the New Testament. But Danny's right. We don't, we don't hear it talked about all that often. And it's a shame because it's a great story. But before we look at what happened on that incredible day, you know how in motion pictures they have prequels and you, know, and you hear in newspapers about backstories? Well, there's a very important backstory to this great story of God revealed in Jesus, which we need to think about for a minute. So just before the transfiguration took place, Jesus was already deep into his earthly ministry and he was performing miracles and healings with his disciples in the area of Caesarea Philippi, which is quite a ways north from the Sea of Galilee. It wasn't his normal patch, but that's where he happened to be just before the transfiguration. And he was right at the base of this huge mountain. It's the biggest mountain in Israel. It's called Mount Hermon. Now, nobody knows where the transfiguration took place, but hey, he was there, right next to a mountain, so possibly that was the one. Now, Herod, um, who killed the innocents, that Herod, that naughty Herod, he'd been hearing all about these miracles and healings and demanded to know who this Jesus was. Because if you think about it, he was the one who beheaded John the Baptist, and he'd been hearing that Jesus might be John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Well, <laughs> that'd make you pretty nervous, wouldn't it? And um, other people were saying that Jesus was the new Elijah. So there was a lot of confusion. So who was this Jesus? And Herod himself said, who then is this I hear such things about? And the identity of Jesus was also present in the next thing that happened, which was the feeding of the 5,000 with the loaves and fishes, where Jesus was displaying his divinity. That was definitely indicated, but it wasn't confirmed. He was doing amazing things, but who was he? Still not clear. Next thing, Jesus was praying with his disciples in private, and he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And remember, it was Peter 
who answered, God's Messiah. But did even Peter fully understand the immense importance of Jesus and all that he stood for and all he was destined to do? Jesus then predicted his death and explained to his disciples how he was going to have to suffer and die before being raised back to life. Now, in Mark's gospel, it says that Peter really didn't like hearing Jesus talk about his own death. That, again, that just made him deeply uncomfortable. He rebuked Jesus. Maybe he thought Jesus was going to affect the disciples' morale, you know, make it, make it bad for them to go out and actually be doing good works. But obviously, by rebuking Peter, he clearly did not understand what Jesus had come on earth to do. So then the Bible accounts tell us, eight days before taking three disciples, Peter, John, and James, who were Jesus' inner circle up the mountain with him, Jesus gave his great explanation of what it means to be a disciple. That's when he talked about how we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily to follow him and how our lives will be changed and saved by serving him. And he promised to his disciples that we as believers will see the kingdom of God on earth before we die. So he'd said all those things even before the transfiguration. Okay, it's, it's a long backstory, but it's worth talking through this chronology of events because the transfiguration is the culmination of all those things. It provides that ultimate clarity and power of God's divinity revealed in Jesus and his saving power. His saving power to have us reflect God's glory through Jesus and so we can do his work on earth. It all happens there on that mountaintop. It's a fabulous story, so I'm going to tell it and I want you to imagine that you are with the three disciples going up that mountain with Jesus. So come on, get your sandals on. We're going to go up that mountain. Okay, right. We are going to climb up a winding trail, leaving the dust of the plains behind us. We're going to get to the top of that mountain. And we're, we're standing next to Jesus, but we, we see something really strange happening. His face, it's, it's completely changed. So he's got a light glowing in his body. It's as though the sun is shining on his face. And it's, it's not just his face that's changed. His clothes have turned a dazzling, glistening white, like a flash of lightning, whiter than any bleach could possibly make them. It's, it's so blinding, we can hardly see. And then, whoa, is, is that really who I think it is standing over there talking to Jesus? Is that Moses? Is that Elijah? And they're talking about a departure. And they're talking about fulfillment in Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean? Well, with everything we're seeing... We, we had been tired climbing the mountain, but boy, we're awake now. And we're looking again, 
are Moses and Elijah just ghosts? No, they're real men standing there. And, and Peter, poor Peter, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of starstruck. He's seeing his great heroes standing there before him. And, and he, he just kind of says, oh, can I, can I build you some shelters, Jesus? And Moses and Elijah, I'll build you three separate shelters. Because wouldn't it be great? We're, oh, we're having such an amazing time here. Wouldn't it be great to stay? Well, hmm. It would be great to stay that wasn't quite what God had in mind, was it? But we can't blame Peter for speaking like that. Next, what happens? This cloud, this huge cloud appears from nowhere and it envelops the three disciples. It's surrounding us and it's really kind of scary. It is so scary. We have no idea where it comes from. Well, the biblical stories all say that God comes in a cloud. But it isn't until we hear this voice, this deep voice speaking with all authority, with all clarity, we know instantly it's the voice of God. And he's speaking to us. His words are meant for us. He's saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. Simple Straightforward words. How could we ever doubt that Jesus is the Son of God above all other prophets? Whoa, we have seen it and we have believed. Now, amazing story, amazing thing to have happened. Now, when you experience something that powerful, You know it's true, don't you? And it sticks with you for the rest of your life. And for the three disciples witnessing Christ's transfiguration, well, that was an experience that they would never, ever forget. Now, Peter actually talks about seeing the transfiguration in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 16 to 18, when he says, We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven, when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Now, John doesn't have a section about the transfiguration in his gospel, but how about these words? What do you think? Do you think he's thinking of the transfiguration when he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only God who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So what are the main messages that we're meant to take away from this transformational event in the life of Jesus and in our lives as disciples? Well, the first point is the clear indication of Jesus' true identity, that he's God's chosen son. God has made this perfectly clear to us, who Jesus is. He's not John the Baptist. He's not Elijah reincarnated. He's Jesus, God's son. God made flesh in human form. And he's mightier and the fulfillment of all the great prophets. It's interesting that it's Moses and Elijah standing next to Jesus on that mountain because they represent the law 
and the prophets. And they were to stand in solidarity with Jesus to help him prepare for his departure, which can mean his death in Jerusalem, death on the cross. But the word departure can also mean exodus. So very symbolic that it's Moses. It's Moses there, Moses who delivered God's chosen people from slavery. But it's Jesus who came to deliver us from sin and death. And Elijah being there, Elijah, who, whose assumption to heaven reminds us that the destiny of Jesus will lead him and us also to eternal life in heaven with the Father. Point two, we are to listen to Jesus and do what he says. And as we've seen, Peter initially, as did all the disciples, they failed to understand what Jesus' destiny was in Jerusalem. Why he couldn't just linger with Moses and Elijah, enjoying that precious time on the mountain. He had to get back to work, as Jesus had to get back to work. He had a mission to complete. So, Sometimes we too fail to understand all that God is doing and saying in our lives. And maybe it's because we're not listening or not believing what we've been told. Just as Jesus prayed before he was transfigured, we too must pray first and foremost if we are to hear what God is saying to us and become more Christ-like. So in other words, if we want to be transformed ourselves to reflect God's glory, we have to spend time in his presence, don't we? And we have to follow and obey the teachings of Jesus. And the third big message of the transfiguration is seeing God's glory revealed in Jesus helps to transform us too. So If you think about the Old Testament, there was always a veil, wasn't there, between God and humanity. And that veil was briefly lifted at the transfiguration. And this special time in God's presence helped strengthen Jesus to fulfill his destiny and do the job he had to do. But seeing Moses and Elijah and hearing the voice of God also helped to strengthen the three disciples in their vocations. Because if you think of it, Peter, John, James, they were the the three great leaders, teachers, and evangelists in the early church. So they were given that incredible experience for a reason. And they must have thought back to that precious time on the mountaintop many, many times in their future ministries. But the revelation of God and Jesus helps to equip us too. It gives us that extra conviction that God's word is true and Jesus is our savior who we long to serve. If you think of your own time um, in the presence of God, you know, perhaps there's the time that you hang on to where you've been so overawed by the presence of God and the power of his Holy Spirit. You reflect on that. You hold on to that in times of difficulty or, or maybe even in times when your own faith has been a bit shaky. And Perhaps you've noticed in your own life that after you've had a really powerful experience of the presence of God, watch out what happens next, because that may be the time he asks you to serve him 
in a whole new and challenging way. And he's given you that time with him to help equip you, help to strengthen you, just as Jesus was strengthened on that mountain. Just after the transfiguration, what did Jesus do? He wasn't resting on his laurels thinking, wow, that was really cool what just happened. His disciples certainly didn't do that either. What Jesus did was to go back down the mountain into the plains. And he went back to work helping to heal a demon-possessed boy. That's what he did next, straight away. So we too are expected to do God's work in his power and to reflect his glory. There was this amazing bishop by the name of St. Irenaeus. I never heard about him until the canon at uh, Guilford Cathedral told me about him. But he had, again, something that just speaks of the transfiguration. He had this to say, and he, he lived a mere hundred years after Christ, so we're really going back to the early days of Christianity. But for me, this kind of sums up the power of the transfiguration. What St. Arrhenius said was that God's aim for humankind was that the glory of God is man fully alive. And the life of man consists of beholding God. So, behold your God. He has work for you to do. He wants you to know him. He wants you to serve him. And if you think about who you know, who is doing God's work on earth now, who is reflecting God's glory, perhaps it's someone here at church, perhaps it's the examples you've heard about today, someone you've read about or seen who possibly shines with the love of Christ, the light of Christ, or there's a modern-day Christian hero you have, or a figure from Christian history. But if you think about the characteristics of the people who reflect the glory of God. If you think about what they exhibit, it's the fruits of the Spirit, isn't it? It's, it's love and peace, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all those things. But how do we cultivate those gifts in our life? How do we shine forth the glory of Christ in our lives well, I, had, I was walking along Hindhead Common thinking about this, um, and I thought, oh, well, it's a bit like CPR. You know, if, if people's hearts have stopped beating, you give them CPR, cardiac pulmonary resuscitation, whatever it stands for. Well, for us to shine forth of the glory of God, we need a kind of spiritual CPR, a C for conviction, that Jesus is the Son of God, whose death on the cross was the ultimate saving gift of love for us. P, prayer, that God will transform our hearts so that we will have R, a right relationship with him, leading to a life of service in his name. So to close, I just want to get us to focus again on that wonderful transfiguration of Christ, that celebration today, which is going on in Christian churches all over the world. We're all celebrating that glorious event of God revealing himself in Jesus, showing the, in divine wonders who Christ truly is, the chosen Son of God. Jesus goes before us to show us the way up the mountain and into heaven. 
It is now up to us to follow him and be transformed into his own likeness. Amen.